off the ball. I don't think Springboks are in crisis because you would hate for a team that is so phenomenally good a year out from the World Cup to be world number one and then to go out in the quarterfinals. Yes, yeah, Stephen, we, we know. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Craig Hope is with us. Craig, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, guys. Very good. Looking, for, looking forward to tomorrow as, as journalists, as you probably know, deadline day. Uh, yeah, is it one to be enjoyed or one to be endured? I'm not so sure, but I'm looking forward to tomorrow. That's that's for certain. I couldn't believe when I was looking up last week that uh, last night wasn't the end of it. I presume it was something to do with the fact that there were fixtures on and uh, the old fax machines might have been otherwise engaged, faxing through the results of the matches or something. I, I, why are we in September and the bloody window is still open? And I, I couldn't agree more. When I saw the fixture list and I saw that Newcastle were at, at Liverpool on August the 31st, as a journalist, you think perfect because your mind is going to be distracted with the game and deadline day will come and go and, and you won't even you won't even realise. But sadly, yeah, we've got another another day of it to go. So, yeah, let's see what it brings. Do you expect anything incoming or outgoing around Newcastle in the next 12 hours or so? Uh, potentially, yes. Uh, now, I know they would have liked to have done more. Certainly at the, the start of the week, they were exploring perhaps one, maybe two more permanent deals, uh, in a, certainly in a defensive midfield position. Uh, they've looked into the likes of uh, Yuri Tillemans, uh, Leander Dendonka at Wolves, uh, Douglas Luiz at Aston Villa, Dennis Zachariah at, uh, at Juventus. And I don't think from where we are now, I don't think any of those are probably going to happen. So they're still looking around for, for a defensive midfielder. Probably a lower move that would be in terms of outgoings. Martin Dubravka will join uh, Manchester United today on loan. Now, they wanted to get through last night's game without any problems to Nick Pope before they before they signed off on that. And after three minutes, Nick Pope went down and called called for a doctor. So for a moment, it did look it did look iffy. I think Martin Dubravka would have been watching that one through his through his fingertips because he really wants this move to Manchester United. So, so I don't expect a great deal, but they are still active. And like I said, the loan move would probably be the most likely. I did, I did mention some of the stats earlier. Like Eddie Howe was really getting the optimum out of his team because stats-wise last night they were absolutely battered but could easily have won the game. Yeah, they were. And what I will say is, so, yeah, it doesn't matter who plays for Newcastle at the moment. And last night they were depleted. They didn't have arguably the three best forward players. You know, Alan St. Maximum, uh, Callum Wilson and Bruno Gamaris were all out with, with hamstring injuries. Even at the back as well, they didn't have a £32 million defender, Sven Botman, in there. It doesn't matter who plays at the moment. You can still identify with Newcastle a strategy, a structure, and an absolute buy-in from every player on the pitch. Now, that hasn't always been the case in, in recent years, certainly not under under former managers. Now, that is an absolute testament to, to the work that Eddie Howe is doing there at Newcastle at the moment. And as you say, you know, even though Liverpool had more of the ball, Newcastle didn't allow them to do anything with it for the first half. The first half, for me, was up there with one of Newcastle's best best performances of the season, even one of the best under Eddie Howe. I, I thought they were tremendous. I really did. And, you know, of course, come the end, there is the, there is the heartache. We might, we might get on to that. But, uh, but, yeah, last night was just an example uh, of, the, of the brilliant work that, that Eddie Howe has done. And as I said before, the absolute buy-in of the players. And Craig, we were uh, re- reminiscing uh, about the, the four threes and, um, you know, 26 and a half years, I think, since the initial one. And uh, mm. if there's 
There's something Newcastle love. It's definitely a marquee striker signing. And I'm thinking of Aspria back in the day and the glamour that he brought. What about the incumbent, though? And what, like, it could easily have been the perfect two goal debut in victory at Anfield? It could have been. And, and, you know, the the second one as well, regardless of whether it was ruled out or not, and you can debate that, you know, technically it probably is offside. Regardless of all of that, what he went on to do in what was a, a real live game situation at the time, the flag hadn't been raised, was quite phenomenal. To sit down, to sit down to the two defenders like he did and then find a way past Alisson again, I thought was was just tremendous. And he, he, he went off at the, what, the last half hour there, but, but what, a, what a shift he put in. You know, he worked hard. There was there was class. There was composure. He's finished the way he, he just gave the goalkeeper the eyes as well and he whipped it in. It was it was fantastic, and already he has the he has the feel of a of a real hero. And now, I I've been saying all summer, and I got a little bit of stick for this about three or four weeks ago. I went on on radio over here, and I said it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if Callum Wilson felt his hamstring before the end of August. Now I didn't want him to tear his hamstring, but the reaction among supporters was, "You're stupid! What sort of journalist are you? You know, you're saying you want players to be injured." I said, no, I said, I just think they've taken their, their eye off the ball with regards to what the team really, really needs. And for me, the priority should have been all summer was a striker, someone to come in and compete with Callum Wilson. Now, they, Callum Wilson came back towards the end of last year. He'd come back from a very serious Achilles injury and had done very well. Now, I think that had swayed thinking internally as to Callum Wilson perhaps going a, going a full season and being the main man. I don't think he can, as good as Callum Wilson is, I don't think he can rely on him for that. Now, to bring in Isaac for me is the is the player in the position who could really make a difference for Newcastle this year between, between you know, them being a team who competes for the top 10 to a team who competes on the coattails of that top six, top seven. And certainly the early signs last night were, were massively encouraging. We had Graham Hunter on the show last week and we were asking him specifically about what kind of impact he could have. And he said, look, at this stage, you're buying potential. Nothing wrong with buying potential, but that's all it is. He's had a difficult season. He's mm. missed sitters. He's missed chances. Two years ago, his goal-scoring record was way better and something happened, there was something going on. For him to hit the ground running was actually really important. Those words are ringing in my ears. When I saw the finish last night, I was like, right, well, all of a sudden the confidence flows because we understand that like these humans, despite the amount of money that they get paid and that it gets paid for them, they're not robots. So if you're a striker and you start scoring like that at Anfield, he's going to be feeling himself. Those sitters aren't going to get missed this season. And that's... that like. You know, we we can overstate how important a good start is, but in this instance, it doesn't feel like that. Any word on the injury? Is it anything serious or anything to be worried about? No, no, just just a dead leg. Dead leg, uh, yeah. It should be fine. Then uh, uh, the point you made there, which is interesting, so I'll bring you back to the importance of making a good start. Now, John Dal Thomason has recently he's returned to this country. He's manager of, of Blackburn now. Now, John Dal Thomason came to Newcastle as a, as a 21 year old in 1997. On his, not many people remember this. On his debut against Sheffield Wednesday at home. Tino Asprey put him through on goal after 30 seconds. Thomason had, from the halfway line, threw on goal with the goalkeeper, and he missed. And he missed badly as well. Now, I've always said if that had gone in, John Dal Thomason's Newcastle career might have been might have been awfully different. It is important, a good start, because it just gets the fans on side immediately. They, they, they've got a hero to buy into. And you could see that, you could see that last night. The goal lifted him. And scoring the first goal probably gave him the confidence to do what he did for the second goal that was that was ruled out. And you mentioned there uh, Graham Hunter, you had him on your show earlier in the week. Well, we've got a we've got a man in Spain too called Pete Jensen, and people wrote a bit saying that you know, Newcastle probably paid the, the wrong fee. For, for, for Isaac, bearing in mind how he did last season. Now, on the evidence of last night, yeah, they've paid the wrong fee. They probably haven't paid enough. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, there is a feeling in Spain that £60 million 
bearing in mind he only scored three La Liga goals last year, is too much and they are investing in potential. But what I will say with regards to potential at Newcastle right now, you have got absolutely the right manager in place to bring out the best in to, 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 to fulfil that potential now. Also, like, I mean, it must have been a billion spent or whatever in the Premier League. Like, does it, does it actually matter? Is this even a relevant debate anymore given the ownership of the club as well or there was 60 or 80 or whatever? Does it, is, it, yeah. is it even remotely relevant? No, it is. It is relevant because you've got FFP and you've got parameters you've got to work within. So you can't afford to get £60 million signings wrong. If you get a £60 million signing wrong, you can't just write them off and then go and buy another one because that, that, that money is gone and... and even even this summer, Newcastle didn't want to go as high as they've gone. The total spend, I think, is 115 million. Even though, listen, those are structured deals which are spread out over the next two, three, four years to to to, to circumnavigate FFP restrictions. Mm. But at the same time, no. To answer your question, you can't go throwing around money willy nilly. And where Newcastle are at in terms of what they've currently got coming in, which is still really. You know, it, it, it's a Mike Ashley club in terms of commercial revenue, in terms of even even tickets, uh, player sales. You know, the, there's no one there with any real value who, who they can sell apart from maybe to an Alan St. Maximum. So, uh, no, they've got to be really careful. They've got to knock their recruitment out of the park. And so far, they've done it. And the the, the, the little example I go back to is, for the same £80 million that Manchester United paid for Harry Maguire, Newcastle have put together a brand new back five of two England internationals, Nick Pope and Kieran Trippier, Sven Botman and Dan Byrne, and Matt Target left back for £80 million. That's impressive. They've done well so far, and they've got to continue to do that. I think the other thing you're talking about is, is Eddie Howe and the plan, and there's a structure there as well. Um, it, it does seem like uh, Eddie Howe is a manager who has a very specific style of play that he wants this team to grow in and to use to get up the league. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that actually is? Because there's been some criticism that it's a bit defensive and that maybe the new owners are going to want some more Harlem Globetrotter style stuff. But like that's not really, you know, he, he doesn't want to be Claudio Ranieri at Chelsea. He wants to be uh, Jose Mourinho at Chelsea. Mourinho's style, as we all know, they, that team scored loads of goals, but they were bloody good defenders and they made sure that they didn't concede goals and it seems as if while Eddie Howe has now finally splashed out in a striker that his first primary concern was to build a defence and a defensive structure so that anybody who comes in and plays knows exactly what their job is No, but, but then what, he has done that absolutely he has done that he's built from the back he inherited it, an absolute mess at the back from Steve Bruce but uh, yeah and, and upon those foundations Newcastle Newcastle have built and it's probably been the cornerstone of the success since January onwards but why does a manager have to be wed to, to one definite style or one definite system? We've seen in the space of a week now with Newcastle, they've arguably adopted the strategy depending on the opponent. Manchester City at home, and they didn't have loads of, a, a, a lot of the ball, but they went for them and they played with a, a very definite strategy to, to catch them on the counter-attack and get some maximum into the game and it worked. So maximum wasn't there last night, yet they still found a way to cause Liverpool Liverpool problems. Uh, Wolves on Sunday, now they went to Wolves on Sunday, and I'd arguably, I'd say arguably, it was the worst performance out of those three games. They had a lot of the ball. It was a different way of playing where they do want to dominate, they do want possession. That is the way Eddie wants to go, but they didn't do a, a great deal with it in the final third. That probably comes back to personnel, which is why they're trying to improve the attacking areas with regards with regards to recruitment. So, you know, what Eddie Howe has shown so far is that he's adaptable. And he said this himself, last night at times was quite ugly. Well, you know, bra- bravo, you've realised that is the way to, to, to potentially go to Liverpool and get a result. It is about industry, it's about pressing, it's about structure. Uh, you know, it, it's about sitting deep at times. And it, it worked perfectly until the 
till the 98th minute. So, so yeah, he's adaptable. And, and I have to say this, I'm someone who's been on your show before, invariably to be critical of managers, be that at Newcastle or be that at Sunderland. I've always sort of said what I, what I thought and what I saw. With this guy, honestly, trust me, I couldn't have been more impressed. Uh, he's, he's, he's believable, he's intelligent, he's hardworking. I honestly, I've said this before, I honestly think he could be one of the next great British coaches. How? They're, four, they're fifth in the table in the calendar year and like they're literally just getting going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the form, the form from January onwards was was incredible. Really, to put themselves in the, the top three, top four, a team who ended the the year fighting relegation again comes back to to the to the work that Eddie, that he's doing. Even this, the league, listen, they've dropped at the bottom half after last night, but the league table's a little bit of a lie. You know, they, they, they've been away at Liverpool uh, when you beat in the ninety eighth minute. Manchester City, they came very close to. To, to, to beat him, of course. So it has been an encouraging uh, start of the season, even though they're on the bottom half. And my expectation is that I think they've got to get European football this season because you look at some of the players they've got in there now, Sven Botman, Bruno Gamarish, Alexander Isaac, they haven't come to Newcastle not to be playing continental football. So there is a little bit of pressure there, but I absolutely believe on, on what I've seen, what I've heard, everything around it so far. I absolutely believe that is achievable this season, a top seven finish. Uh, pardon my, my ignorance here, but Botman and Gamarsh, they're expected back relatively soon, is it? Botman was on the bench last night. I, I, I just think it was it was a case of maybe his rotation right. uh, last night with regards to defenders. Botman's okay. Uh, Bruno Gamarra has a hamstring strain. Uh, we're told that Saturday is probably unlikely, the same for Anson Maximum, and uh, a week on Sunday down at West Ham is the more likely return date for those two. But things can change over the next 72 hours, we'll see. Yeah, OK. N- neither of them are like chronic long-term out till Christmas type no. thing. So we should we should see the team settle into a rhythm over the next while. And the games are coming thick and fast. So, uh, you know, that, that strength and depth is going to be hugely important to them. Um, the point you make about the potential for the coach... How long is his runway? Like, you know, because it's it's likely that when you set a new team together and you sign all these players, that there might be a little bit of a betting in period. There could be a bit of a blip. Does he have any rope? He, he do well. He's just signed a new long term long term contract there uh, two weeks ago. So so he does. I think the owners, like myself, couldn't have been more impressed by him. Uh, and that is as a result of the feedback you get within the club. Uh, now. What Eddie Howe's greatest, greatest success, but one of his biggest successes so far, has been not only to keep the players in the team happy, but to keep the players outside the team happy. Now, the previous manager here couldn't even keep the players in the team happy. So, uh, yeah, so to, 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 to that regard, you know, I use that phrase, buy-in. When Eddie, Eddie came in in, what was it, November time, and one of the first things he did was he put himself on the line. He stood up in the canteen in front of the entire squad and all the staff and went through his full life story. Now that included, you know, the very painful death of, of his mother as well. Uh, you know, who was who was a single mum. He's spoken about that previously, and he put everything on the line for them. And I think the players walked out of that uh, that that meeting and just said, "Wow, we we want to play for this guy." And over the course of the next two or three weeks. Uh, after every training session, after lunch, one player was encouraged to stand up in front of the group and repeat what Eddie had done. Put their life, you know, put their life out there. Things that perhaps wouldn't have shared with teammates before. Put it out there. And because of that, you know, they, they have grown closer. You, you can see it. There is an undeniable, undeniable bond there. The amount of late goals they've scored, the amount of times they've, they've salvaged points that perhaps shouldn't have, shouldn't have got. So, you, know, you went into the question there, you know, talking putting it back to me that I said he's going to be one of the next great British managers. You look at his age, he's 44 years old. Now, that 
Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard are a similar age and they're being talked about as, as relative rookies on a, on a Premier League stage, you know, young managers. Well, they're the same age as Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe has already got 14 years of uh, a body of work beneath them. Now, not all of that has been good. There's been a relegation with Bournemouth. There's been accusations of you know, poor recruitment at Bournemouth, which I don't think is entirely accurate. But why can't you learn from that? You know, well, that's, it, Sorry, that, that's a really good point, because we, we actually had somebody on who played under him and said the man management wasn't great. But that was in his first job. Like, he was mm. calling uh, players who were older than him son. You learn from your mistakes. And he yep. has gone through that period where... The other two who you mentioned uh, uh, doesn't seem to be learning from their mistakes at the moment. I'm a Villa fan, so I'm you know I'd much rather have Eddie Howe as the, the manager of Villa than, and it's never going to happen now. But um, so, like it's clear that he is somebody who takes on board feedback. You know, that's my roundabout way of getting there. Yeah, but what he spent he's just, he was out of work for what eighteen months between Bournemouth and Newcastle, and he spent his entire time not his entire time, but a lot of his time digitalizing every uh, every coaching session he'd ever put on. So, you know, he's got the the resource there now to pluck a session from this this digitalized. I mean, you could argue there's better things to do with your time, but you know, he went away and during that that period, he looked at his weaknesses as a manager and improved himself, and you know. Isn't that what life's about? You know, re- recognizing weaknesses rather than sort of pig-headedly carrying on with with what you've done previously and believing it's going to work. He's he's intelligent. That's what it comes back yeah. to. The man is intelligent. I have two last questions. One is uh, afterwards, Klopp was complaining about the time wasting, and um, so they've just won in the ninety eighth minute, and he says it's going to be a game that everybody remembers forever. But he's still taking time to go. But they were time wasting. Um, if I'm a Newcastle fan, I'm delighted about that because they care. And we've got under the skin. And the next time when we play them, we will time waste because Liverpool will do it to us. And all of a sudden, you know, you're getting the respect of being disliked by Klopp, which I think is probably important. Maybe I'm reading that wrong, and maybe he's just being nasty afterwards because he can be because like he's the boss. I don't know. Yeah, I thought Eddie was very dignified afterwards uh, with regards to the time and all the rest of it. And I wouldn't expect anything different. Uh, what I will say on the on the time is now. I haven't necessarily, on a whole, got, got, a, got, got a problem with it because I've written it and said recently that I think we are being cheated out of, out of minutes that if the football is on the pitch. I think the, the research at the start of the season showed, you know, some matches as low as four. There was a Newcastle game recently as low as 46, 47 minutes. Now, how, how is that the case? It's just scandalous. So my, my solution to this was, and we did a little bit on the Daily Mail, was, you know, just play longer at the end. Play seven, eight, nine, ten minutes as the norm as opposed to two or three. So... In principle, I haven't got a problem with them going beyond the, the allotted allocated time. Where I have got an issue with it last night is it's because it's still so unprecedented. How many times do you go three minutes beyond the five which is which is put up? And even five at the time felt a, a little bit excessive. Now, Nick Pope was down injured in injury time, but I think someone's timed that and it was it was a minute and a half. So so where do you find the extra two and a half, three, three to, to, to play beyond that? I, I don't know what you guys think. I, I think it is a, an interesting point. For, for for debate, I just think for me, you know, it doesn't normally happen. So I can see why Newcastle are aggrieved that there was a point on about ninety six and a half minutes, a minute and a half after the, the allotted five, where you thought, right, he's going to blow the whistle now. Newcastle attack had broken down, and lo and behold, it didn't, and that was the the offensive Liverpool scored from. But I, I don't know what you guys. Think. Well, it always never happens. It happens in Gaelic games. It rarely happens in football. Um, your point about the additional time is completely accurate. We just take it for granted that oh, it's a throw. It took forty-seven seconds. Yeah. That's grand, like you know. And then there's mm. two minutes. But yeah, I mean, there's like several substitutions, and the time is never added yeah. on. It's it's it, the inconsistency is the thing that drives everybody crazy. That's mm. it. Like, uh, but I think you're right. Just play eight or nine minutes as a matter of course, and it, it kind of all of a sudden people forget to time waste because there's no point. Mm. 
yeah. that kind of cures yeah. it. The last thing is obviously about the, the fans and the ownership and um, what is the level of comfort at the moment amongst the fans with the Saudi owners? Has that, has that story completely disappeared? And Because the, the sports washing is happening in all aspects of all sport at the moment. We see it in horse racing. We've talked about this this week. We see it in golf where the Saudis are basically t- trying to take over the sport. Uh, with, with them coming over and owning the club, um, how important is that? Do, is that discussed amongst the fans at the moment? Is it still a real-life topic? Mm. I'll, give, I'll give an honest answer here. With regards to supporters, no. No, it's not. Uh, with- <laughs> I think supporters, from you know, as a, as a journalist based up here, and you know, is surrounded by by fans on sort of a daily basis, immersed immersed in it. I think they've been able to to park any concerns they may have about the ownership and concentrate on on what is it, what is for them a, a football story and the the love of the football club. Now, <clears throat> we can argue the the, the wrongs and, and rights of that, but that is the reality, and that that's an honest answer. I'll, I will try to give from a. Now, from a journalistic perspective, uh, you know, at, at the start, I can only speak for my own publication, but at the start, I think we covered both both sides of it very well because there are two stories to start, to tell here. There is the the issue of Saudi ownership and, and what is sports washing. I mean, it, you know, they are buying into to sport to to to, to enhance their, their their reputation. To you know that that is that is unavoidable, and there are. There are certain elements of that, that that do leave you uneasy and do have to be explored and, and maintained. Uh, you know, you've got to keep on at that journalistic. And I think as a newspaper, the Daily Mail has has done that. Uh, you know, I'm employed as a as a football reporter up here. It doesn't mean I, I turn a blind eye to that. You know, I have spoken about that and I've, and I've written things about that side of it. But I've also got to cover a, a football story as well with regards, you know, the, the Premier League matches, the press conferences, the transfers, everything else around it that is taking place. So, so no. It is still there. There's certain elements of it, personally, I'm not necessarily comfortable with. But at the same time, you know, there is a there is a, a football club there, a football a, a manager and players, and the manager is doing a very brilliant job. And we've just spoken for 20 minutes there about what is a, a fascinating subject with regards to the incomings. You know, Newcastle's turnaround from what they were under Mike Ashley and Steve Bruce to what they are under new ownership, Medi Howe now. So you know, there is interest there. We can't. We, we've got to cover that and we, we've got to do the best we possibly can to, to tell that side of the story as well so so yeah there's there's contradictions and there's conflicts uh, and that will probably continue to to, to be the case, and that's me trying to give you an honest answer. Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair. I think um, you, you see with all fan groups that the ownership is an issue when things are bad and when things start going well. When you sign a, a striker who bangs one in with his first fifteen minutes, you're like, hey, you know, um, and that is the contradictions of life. Craig, it's always great having you on. One last thing: um, John Dal Thomason's first game was in Dublin. You guys came over for a, a three three team. Pats, Chelsea, and um, Newcastle were over because I remember because I remember he, he came off the bench and wasn't very good. And uh, <laughs> Kenny Dalglish, I asked him about it in the press conference afterwards, and he was very spiky. He had the head off me because I like, haven't recovered. I, well, I was like, I was it was a stupid, it was a kind of stupid, like one of my long rambling questions. And Dalglish is kind of like, well, that guy's gonna be a superstar. I was like, well, so I I watched with interest then as um, is this the first time you whatever ever happened. Story I was uh, right. Well. I I mean, I, I I wasn't. I knew I knew then even less than I know about football <laughs> now. And it was like, uh, it just he'd, he'd missed. He'd, he'd come on and just hadn't like because he was was he not replacing Shearer or was was Shearer no, still there? 
No, Shira was injured. So right. uh, if Shira hadn't been injured, then uh, you know I think it would have perhaps lightened the, the, the load on Jandal Thomason. But he went in as a twenty-one-year-old uh, kid in his first season in England, and it was all just a little bit, a little bit too much for him, really. But went on to have it. Went on to have a very good career. Of yeah. So, yeah, yeah, great well, career. Seems like a great football man. But Kenny Dalglish was not happy being asked about his new signing on his uh, on his de- debut in Dublin. So it turned out it wasn't only Dublin he was missing. <laughs> great, great to have you with us. Thanks. Cheers, guys. Take care. Bye bye. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.